Um, we use a laryngoscope as a device that uh, you insert into somebody's mouth to place a breathing tube. Uh, video laryngoscopy, as it's called. So it's a video scope. Um, you put the thing in the mouth, you look at it on the screen, and that is an adjunct to help you. So you uh, could like follow that down in case there's to see what's going on. If there's a correct. So what what you actually do is, I mean, so when you pass a breathing tube, it goes through the vocal cords. So your vocal cords look like like a white V, like this. Right. So you put the device in, and now free prior to video, you're you're actually looking in there. Hello and welcome to season four of the Lehigh Valley with Love podcast. I'm your host, George Wacker. We're back to tell stories about the Lehigh Valley from people from the Lehigh Valley or who have ties to the Lehigh Valley. We're going to start off this season with Eric Gratz. He is the chief of operations for the city of Allentown. We have to learn about what he does. He oversees EMS in the city. It's a huge undertaking. We're going to talk about some numbers. We're going to talk about some new technology. We're going to talk about how COVID has affected his job and has made it more difficult, but has also made him adapt. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. So please hit us up in the show notes. You will find everything you need to know about the Lehigh Valley with Love podcast. We hope that you take a listen, get to know us a little bit better, and who knows, maybe you'll be a guest. We're going to start off season four with Mr. Eric Gratz. Actually, I lied. I want to thank our sponsors, including the Burke Insurance Agency, Michael Bernadine, real estate agent, find Mike. We're going to hear more from them in a minute. And Venture X. We're going to be at Venture X, a co-working space on the south side of Bethlehem, doing at least an episode a month. That's going to be really exciting. And now, let's get to it. I like your office. You have a nice little setup in there. It's, a lot of these Zoom calls or anything I have, it's like you're right up in the face. I like to see a, a nice little spread there. You're looking good. Put the family pictures behind me. They're, they're better looking than I am anyway. So. <laughs> it's good, it's good to you know. So I was checking out your uh, Twitter before we came on here. And I don't know the exact number, but it was over 16,000 calls that Allentown EMS went through. Um, in 2020, I'm not a mathematician, but I did some math math with it. It comes down to about like 1.7 calls an hour, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. What this just seems like such a large undertaking to, to be um, kind of involved in or a part of. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, what your responsibility is as a chief of operations in Allentown and, and what you oversee? Sure. So I, I pretty much oversee the entire operation. So when you think about the police department or the fire department, you know, the fire chief or the police chief, they oversee the, the entire operation um, as far as budgetary personnel matters, um, the fleet equipment and whatnot. So the way we're structured here is we've got four platoons. Um, so there's, there's one platoon working at, at a time. We work 12 hour shifts, four days on, four days off. Each of those platoons has a shift supervisor who's responsible for pretty much running the shift, handling all the issues operationally that come up during the shift. But they also each have, uh, their assigned duties. So one does supplies and logistics. One does our vehicle maintenance, uh, coordinates all that, the fleet. Um, one does the schedule. So I kind of just make all those cohesive pieces fit together and okay. uh, you yeah. know, intervene where I need to. But, uh, you know, I try and look at the uh, the big picture most of the time and strategize on you know, where we need to go moving forward. Like as we continue to, like you said, you know, 16,000 calls a year. Um, we added last year our third night shift truck. We previously had two trucks overnight, um, a third one day shift, and then a fourth one, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. 
Um, so we added with the uh, support of the mayor and city council, we added the, the third truck 24 hours. So we have three trucks around the clock. And then mm -hmm. we looked at all the data for the fourth truck and actually shifted that to 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. this year. So that's kind of where I try and stay back and look at all the data and what, what picture the data tells um, so we can make really good strategic decisions. Would Allentown be the largest, I mean, I don't know how to phrase this, but in terms of like EMS operation, is Allentown the largest in the area or is, are there county services that are larger or? So most EMS agencies in the state of Pennsylvania are either uh, hospital-based, private mm -hmm. nonprofit. There's very few for-profit that have 911 uh, coverage areas. And then there's okay. municipal-based. So locally around here, it's us, City of Bethlehem, City of Reading, um, or the, the municipal-based services. Oh, and Emmaus Borough. Um, but most of the other places are, are you know, private companies. So we're fairly busy in 911 volume. Um, but as far as geographic area and uh, Citronia Ambulance to our uh, west has a mm -hmm. large portion of Lehigh County, and between their emergency and their non-emergency, oh, they probably do a little more than they're 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 a five hundred one c three yes private okay. nonprofit correct right. yeah. <clears throat> and how? Because I'm curious. I was reading your bio as well. You know, well uh, rounded. I'm really curious how you get into this. Like, what was your are you from Allentown? Was it something that originally, as you're growing up, you wanted to uh, get involved in this time of like uh, line of work? What was it for you? So um, I'm from Salisbury Township. Actually, my parents live over by Lehigh Valley Hospital Center. Uh, so literally a block outside of Allentown is where they live. So that's where I grew up. Um, they still live there. I went through Salisbury High School. Uh, I actually towards the end of high school, thought about a career in law enforcement. So I went to uh, Cooktown University and uh, I fell in the trap of 13th grade um, where I had my freedom. Um, and uh, let's just say that uh, my uh, GPA was that of uh, Blutowski. <laughs> in my, 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 brother, my brother went to Cooktown. He's old enough now in the 90s, probably doesn't care. And I remember the story they were telling me. He's 10 years older than me. My grandma, somehow they secured the student loan. And I guess at that time, like, they gave him a check to, to do the student loan. And he just thought it was for, like, whatever. And he spent his, like, semester of student loans at Kutztown on not um, classes or books. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best stories. So, so what? You, you were there for a, a year or many uh, no, just, just, just actually a, a semester before my parents said that, uh, well, uh, you might want to start thinking about getting a job or deciding you're actually going to go to class. Um, so I dabbled in community college, uh, for another semester. And I, I just, one of the things that I, I did while I was at Cooktown in that fall semester was I went to EMT school. Um, okay. so EMT class is kind of the, the precursor to, uh, paramedic school. It's the basic life support equivalent. It's about a, a hundred and some hours of education. Um, you know, you can work on an ambulance, uh, in a lot of places they work with a paramedic. Uh, mm -hmm. so I did that because I thought it would make me more, uh, attractive as a police applicant because obviously law enforcement does a lot of first response stuff. So, Hey, why not? Well, it turned out I liked that a heck of a lot more than I liked college classes at the time. So, um, I decided, well, you know, this is kind of fun. Maybe I should do this. And uh, so I, I dabbled a little bit of community college and ended up actually getting a job here at Allentown in June of 2000 um, as a 911 dispatcher. 
which while I was, while I was a 911 dispatcher for three years here, I went to paramedic school. Uh, so once I graduated paramedic school, I passed my test. Uh, now paramedic school is over a thousand hours. So it's, it's quite a big jump up from Mm -hmm. emergency medical technician. Um, once I completed all that, uh, I was able to actually transfer over to EMS here. Uh, and I came over here in May of 2003. Um, and then from there on out, this was a, you know, I'm going to do this for five years and figure out what I want to do with my life as a 21 year old kid. And here I am now going to be 40 in May. (laughs) I mean, it's just really, it's interesting because you're kind of, we're kind of making light of not going to Kutztown for that amount of time, but not everybody has to, you know what I mean? Like you made the right decision for you to where you're in a position that I'm sure, you know, you're clearly happy with that. It didn't have to necessarily follow that path that you have to, you know, Hey, you have to do the four years. And And honestly, I think, so I decided I got promoted to shift supervisor here in the original, when we created the position in 2012, I was one of the original four. Um, And then I decided, you know, I would probably be a little bit more well-rounded if I went back to school and actually got a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will tell you that at 34, 35 years old, that was probably the best decision I made in my life as far as education. And I think I got way more out of it than I would have as a a, 20-year-old kid with no life experience. Um, you know, going back to college in as like a mid-career progression for me, one, I was more mature. I was ready to buckle down and yeah. do the work. Um, and two, I could take a lot of the, the life lessons here in real world experience and bring that back to college discussions and bounce things off my professors and vice versa. You know, I mm-hmm. did cost-benefit analysis in grad school. Well, we did cost-benefit my paper was on cost benefit analysis of adding the third truck, uh, overnight here at Allentown. So. The Burke insurance agency is family owned and operated since 1986. What else happened in 1986? Haley's comet flew by and that was pretty cool. The Burke Insurance Agency is located at 3446 Freemansburg Avenue in Bethlehem Township, and they represent Erie, Grange, and Progressive Insurance Companies. Tom and Kathleen are some of the nicest people in the Lehigh Valley, for real. They actually get to know their customers and care for them as if they were part of their own family. It's how a small business is supposed to be. They are also community-minded and support many nonprofits, which they are very passionate about. Give them a call at 610-691. 3743 or find them on Facebook. Everything again is in our show notes. Don't wait around like Haley's comment called Burke Insurance today. You know, you have the, that ability to, to really make it something tangible that obviously was very beneficial when we came down the crunch in numbers here in the city. I wouldn't have had the ability to do that or the knowledge to do that at 2021, 20, 22. So, as absolutely back to your point of, you know, not everyone needs to go that you go to high school, well, you go to college for four years and figure out what you want to do with your life then. Well, I feel the, the same way. Even with me, like I got out, I'm like, you, I, I thought I wanted to do one thing. And then as you go along and you experience more, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I, I didn't know that that option even was an option. So, it's different now. Uh, what, when you say community college, did you go, was it L Tri C or is it somewhere else? No, yeah, I went to, I went to L Tri C. Yeah. 
I just want to make sure they get the love too. So yeah, yeah. what, what are some of the, um, I was reading through the website as well, like some of the milestones or accomplishments that you're most proud of within uh, the city of Alton during your time there. So, I mean, I think when we got, when I got hired in 2003, I was one of the, I was the last expansion of uh, adding ambulances to the street prior to what we did going into 2020 when we put that third truck up overnight. Um, so there was a pretty good gap there. And I mean, we went from running less than 10,000 calls to obviously last year cresting 16,000. So uh, it's a, the ability to, to sustain a two to 3% of our call volume goes to mutual aid. So we handle about 98% of all our 911 calls in house here uh, with the staff we have. Uh, given the increase over that period of time and, and really up until last year, no staffing increase, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. And it says a lot about the men and women who work here and, and our ability to you know, keep hustling. Uh, I think equipment though has really been the, the, most important thing that mm -hmm. I've seen during my time as chief, um, we were able with, uh, you know, the support of the administration and, and city council, we've been able to, to really purchase some, some great life-saving equipment. Um, we have a automated CPR device uh, called the Lucas on every ambulance and our supervisor vehicle. So there's five of those out on the street here on any given day, which enables the, the paramedics to, uh, put that device on it. It does continuous CPR, constant depth, constant rate. Um, that's really a nice tool in the tool bag. Um, we use a laryngoscope as a device that uh, you insert into somebody's mouth to place a breathing tube. Uh, video okay. laryngoscopy, as it's called. So it's a video scope. Um, yeah. You put the thing in the mouth, you look at it on the screen, and that is an adjunct to help you. So you uh, could like follow that down in case there's to see what's going on. If there's a correct. So what, what you actually do is, I mean, so when you pass a breathing tube, it goes through the vocal cords. So your vocal cords look like like a white V, like this. Right. So you put the device in, and now free prior to video, you're you're actually looking in there with the video scope. You put it in, you see it, and then you bring the tube in. And then as the tube introduces into the video screen, you pass that through the cords and you can actually record it and or take a picture of it. So it's a, it's a definitive uh, uh, care documentation as well. Um, well we got, got oh, go ahead. No, I, I just like that blows my mind in a way where you're you're like I'm picturing some an EMT doing that in the field. You know, that's something that you would imagine you're doing in a, a a doctor's in an emergency room. So like the technical ability and the training that would go into using something like that has got to be. So correct. And that's one of the big differences between EMTs and paramedics. So when, when folks ask you, you know, a lot of times the terms, the terms used interchangeably. And, and I, yeah, I just, I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it. And, and we're, it's something we're used to. And a lot of times, you know, folks will ask us, what, what is the difference? So aside from, you know, I reference you're talking 10 times as much uh, schooling, mm -hmm. Um, you know, the major things are, aside from all that education, is our ability to place a breathing tube or another advanced airway. We can actually do surgical airways in the field, uh, which we try not to, obviously, because that's a, just a last-ditch effort, but we right. can do them. Um, we place IVs. We can give medications, all the cardiac medications. We can defibrillate your heart. We can pace your heart. Um, we have uh, the ability to do a 12-lead EKG, just like in the ER, to and read those to detect. Uh, we'll call what we call pre-hospital MI alert. So MI is a myocardial infarction or a heart attack. So we call in and say, "Hey, look, 
we have George's EKG here and he's got this criteria met, uh, we think he's having a heart attack and they'll activate the team before we get there. So yeah. you're talking the, the goal now in stroke, heart attack, all that stuff is first medical contact, which is us mm-hmm. to intervention is what they're looking at. So you're having a stroke. They want to know, um, from when you, we contacted you until maybe you got TPA, which is the, the clot busting medication or another intervention in the stroke. That's, that's the picture they're looking at where before it used to be, all right, 911 call time until they hit the door or door to intervention time. Now, all the, the literature, we're getting so good that they're really looking at that entire period of contact. So, um, I mean, like, would it be, and this, this is probably oversimplifying it, but would it be like maybe 20, 30 years ago, you know, you're more trying to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. I'm sure you're still doing that now, but in the meantime, you can still mitigate a little bit better along the way. Oh, absolutely. So I, you look back, so I'm here, it's, I'm with the city over 20 years now. So 20 years seems, seems so long ago when you say it, but it's, it's really, it's, yeah, I'm a 42, like when I'm 40 as well, not 42. <laughs> but yeah, now, now you think of 20 years. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that long. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is actually terrifying. You just said that. I was just like, oh my God. So, you know, the eighties, the scope of practice has increased and paramedics have been around in this area. Allentown was some of the first Citroni and Allentown, um, since the late seventies. So, um, really compared to police and fire, it's a relatively young profession. The eighties, they continually added more stuff you could do. The nineties got better. 2000, we were doing a lot of this stuff. Uh, that we're doing now, but gradually they've added more medications. They've added more interventions for us. Um, you know, there's more ability in the technology with the 12 lead EKGs and whatnot. Um, there's, there's so much more that we can do out in the field that, you know, it's more than just a ride to the hospital. And and that's one of the things that we've always Mm -hmm. tried to instill in people is, you know, we'll pull up at the house, we'll, we'll get the patient up and they're like, why aren't you going? Well, because we can start treating you right here. And when you go to the ER, and for anyone who's ever been in the ER, it's not instantaneous. It's unless you're a trauma patient where right. you are getting that instantaneous care, you got to get in, you got to get registered. The doctor has to come see you before the nurses can give you any medication. We're cutting down on that time. Pain management, not medication for your nausea, um, all that different stuff we can do out in the field and get that on board before you even get to the ER. And I would imagine now we're talking about your responsibilities when we started now it'd have to be with COVID, you know, first responders are the first responders, you know, uh, how, huh, how have you been responding? Have you, what has it made for you that you've had to done a lot, had to do a lot differently? What challenges have you had to overcome? I mean, I'm sure it's, it's endless, but. Looking for a bigger home? Find Mike. Looking to downsize? Find Mike. Looking for a home in the Poconos? Find Mike. Looking for your very own bat cave? Find Mike. When looking to navigate the Lehigh Valley real estate market, the first move is to always find Mike Bernadine with Howard Schaefer and Associates of Remax Real Estate. He can help you build the right game plan to achieve all your real estate goals, whether it be a home with 10 bathrooms, a home with a large garage to park your Tesla or vintage Ford Pinto, or just something perfect for you and your family. Finding Mike Bernadine is always the best way to go. So, what are you waiting for? To make all your Lehigh Valley real estate dreams come true, all you have to do is find Mike Bernadine with Howard Schaefer and Associates of Remax Real Estate. 
Yeah, now you, you're going back. There we go. Sorry. Yeah. Bluetooth. Um, I would like to say that prepared and this has been seamless. Um, and <laughs> that's an absolute lie. Uh, yeah. You know, in April, it was, uh, we were prepared, I think, than some other folks here mm-hmm. as an agency. But even still, I mean, the initial wave of fear of bringing something home to your family, to your loved ones, uh, yourself, um, mm-hmm. that that's a real overwhelming feeling for a lot of folks. And we don't like, we're not very good as a profession about talking about our feelings. Uh, so that makes it challenging to kind of gauge how your workforce is handling this truly. Um, you know, I think one of the big benefits was the West Coast, Seattle specifically, saw this a couple weeks before us. And there was a lot of uh, use of the internet in collaborating and doing uh, lessons learned kind of talks for, for EMS okay. and, and first responders that I found very beneficial that, hey, look, here's an idea I had. All right, I'm going to watch this and have great success. Or maybe it's something I didn't think of. Seattle had great success with this. And I think the, the biggest telling thing was non-infection rate for crews that were wearing the appropriate amount of Okay. Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit there with your Bluetooth. So good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's okay, it's okay. It happens. It's like the morning I'll wake up with these headphones, I have to wear them like 12 hours a day, and um, it won't... won't, uh, they won't stay on. But no, you were saying, so when you're taking these mitigation efforts and your people have on their the correct um, protection, you haven't seen any transmission or you've seen very few or? We're seeing so many COVID patients here mm-hmm. that it's very hard to say whether or not someone did sure, get yeah, it at work. So, but I do think that... Uh, you know, the amount of patients we've seen versus the amount of our staff here, um, which has been infected throughout the entire thing, mm-hmm. um, which is single digits at EMS, there's definitely, what we're doing is definitely working um, and continues to work, which is what's important because clearly we're not, we're not out of the woods yet with this. No, I mean, I can't even, honestly, and I don't mean this to be funny, like I have some trepidation you know when i'm going out to the supermarket like how are some of these you know some of the employees the emts the the paramedics dealing with this we're we're almost coming up on this is going to be a year they've been going out every day responding to calls with okay hopefully this person isn't coughing all over me or, or whatever even if you are taking precautions what has that been like maybe some of the mental health or reminding people um or working with people keeping morale up has that been tough too well, and that's, yeah, and, and like I alluded to earlier, you know, we don't, we're not very good as a profession at communicating mm-hmm. our feelings. I mean, we, we, the bottom line is we've seen a lot of, most of us have seen a lot of horrible things over or the yeah. course of our career, and, and we're just not very good at saying, hey, look, I, I want to talk about that. Like, I have some strong, I'm not sleeping well because of this call, or mm-hmm. I'm really stressed out because of COVID. Uh, so trying to get folks to keep that open dialogue, and, and, you know, a lot of times what we use here is, is you know, humor some of it gallows humor um, just because of the you know the the nature of the the industry but uh that's kind of broke down the the 
barriers of, you know, at least opening up. And even if we're making, making light of the situation, well, jovial and, you know, yeah. trying to keep morale up, like you said, because the, the biggest thing is as we drag on with this, we've become very used to the fact that, yes, I got to wear a mask. Um, which was not something we did before. I mm-hmm. routinely eye protection, uh, gowns when we're doing uh, invasive procedures, things that like we just never did that before. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer this drags on, the more you become complacent. Right, been doing this now, like you said. All right, it's, so me personally, now I'm I'm in the office most of the time, but I do go out. I've been doing this a year, and I now I just got vaccinated, but still I haven't got COVID. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I just wear my mask. I don't really need mm-hmm. eye protection. I, I've, I've been okay because I haven't gotten it in a year. So trying to fight that and having folks stay vigilant is, is really a challenge. But at this point, I think we're all just, uh, we've accepted what the, and I hate that, that cliche, the new normal, but we've accepted what it is right now. It, it, it still doesn't make it any less exhausting. Right. Um, and I think the when summer rolls back around, working in a mask in the hundred degree heat is uh, that that takes its toll on you. Yeah, and I don't Worries think where we're going to be. I think the Leah Valley has, in my opinion, anyway, been good at uh, celebrating first responders, healthcare workers. Uh, in that, you know, we have a really strong community. I know multiple EMTs. You know. Um, what, what is like you, you say about the culture of EMTs? What is the type of person who gets into your line of work? You know, so I um, I like to say I have uh, so there's with our supervisors, so there's 34 full time paramedics here, 30 full time paramedics, four supervisors who are paramedics, and then myself as a paramedic. But so I supervise 30, 34 full time people, not including our part timers. Out of that, 33. Of them, uh, maybe 32 of them are type A personalities. So clearly the majority is uh, a type A personality, someone who is, is very strong-willed, um, you know, a self-starter, motivated. Uh, it, so what that is, you end up with some, some really good employees. You also end up with some personality conflicts because you pile all these type A people in, in a room. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and you've got you've got folks that you know we most of them have routine partners here. So you're with your partner on a four day stretch, forty eight hours, you know, four twelve hour shifts in a row. That may be more than you're seeing your spouse. So um, that makes for some interesting <laughs> dynamics. So I'm going to probably sound a little naive here, but is it much similar to uh, like a, a fire station? Like, is it where? you're on call, but in a certain location. And then when the call comes, I mean, if you're having two an hour, I would assume you have to kind of be ready to go. So, yeah, so we are actually where I'm sitting right now. Our, our main office is on the second floor of central fire station in Allentown. So in the 700 by two street. So when you drive by, you see the garage doors, the, there's a, the battalion chief for fire, there's two engines down there, and then there's two ambulances. Medic one and medic two run out of here. Our supervisor's in the garage as well here. So they've got an office down the hallway. Um, the Hibernia Fire Station, which is at Ridge and Tillman with the big glass doors, kind of right over the Tillman Street Bridge across from Jack's Pizza. Um, that is uh, the peak time truck, so previously 11 to 11, down 9 to 9. And then Lehigh Street, where the training tower is, over uh, Caddy Corner to where Queen City Diner was, Max South Fire Station, that is, uh, that's our Southside truck. That's the new 24-hour edition in uh, 
So yeah, so we're, we're based out of the firehouses. Now that being said, as soon as a lot of times, like you said, with the volume, as soon as we clear the hospital or we're not even clear the hospital and they're calling us, asking us, we can go take another call. Yeah. So this guy, yeah, he's exhausting. He's exhausting to think about. Well, listen, you've been in Allentown since 2000, you said, right? Which yeah, is was, yep. basically the entire renaissance that, you know, has, has popped up down there. Um, popped up. I mean, it's, 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 you know, as we get back into it, I know that the um, Hamilton Street District, the Chamber of Commerce, they've been putting out events and the restaurants down there for it's fantastic. But how has it been for someone who's, who's there almost every day, you know, to see Allentown start to, to flourish and have some, you know, positivity and people getting down there for hockey games and everything like that? Oh, I, I think it's definitely a, a welcome addition to downtown. I mean, I remember, you know, the early 2000s, uh, a Sunday, Hamilton mm-hmm. Street was a ghost town. Um, there was there was no really no one shopping down there. Um, like you said, there, the restaurants weren't there at that time. Very few. The Bay Leaf, which was one of my that, favorite. That, well, that time, like to early two thousands, when we go to Crock Rock every weekend because they had. Well, that's that is true. Yeah. So that yes, yeah. Yeah, there was the, the Crock Rock crowd at night. <laughs> Definitely, I, that would have been me. I would have been one of them. I did leave, you know, without any trouble, though. I was just going to say we didn't pick you up, did we? No, no, <laughs> not that, that night anyway. But <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I there's mean, so many great places down there now. It's it's nice. Well, and you look at, like you said, the hockey games bring a, a ton of people into downtown. Um, even during the workday now, the workforce that's down there is, uh, you know, it, it's incredible. Prior to COVID, the downtown market was thriving. Um, mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't know how it is now with, with you know, the, uh, since the pandemic. Like, yeah, yeah, is a little there. bit less than it should be, you know. Yeah, but I mean, it's just a welcome addition. It's nice to see the, the urban uh, development here and bringing, you know, working the workforce back into town because you saw that, you know, 90s, 2000s, everybody moved out to the suburbs. Uh, so, so it is nice to see some of the business and, and commerce coming back mm-hmm. into town here. Um, but hey, before I let you go, I wanted to, you said you, you were vaccinated. Um, you know, can you talk about the importance of that, you know, in the community? I mean, this is, in my opinion, from whatever I read, you know, the best way that we're going to be able to defeat this in the community is for people to get vaccinated who are able to and who aren't allergic to it. You know, what can you say to that? So there's been... Uh, I- Right now, I actually did a poll yesterday um, because it's not required for us, but about mm-hmm. 90% of my workforce here has been vaccinated. Um, okay. Initially, it was about 60-40 uh, split. 60 yes, 40 no. I think as more of us continue to get vaccinated and you go through this with you know, minimal uh, mm-hmm. uh, negative effects, we're seeing, you know, oh, okay, what did you have? I well, they let sort of, go first. Like, he's all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I actually was one of the first ones here. Um, and, you know, we've been so fortunate with both of the health networks here really mm-hmm. stepping up. Um, and then our health bureau, which we're out giving vaccines with our health bureau every day. Uh, right now we're doing, you know, the Tier 1A folks still. Uh, soon to be moving mm-hmm. to Tier 1B. So there's going to be more information coming out on that. Um, but I think that... <sighs> I know it was, it seems rushed. The science is not new. Um, and the thing to really remember is at, at any point in time, all these brilliant researchers are working on how many different projects COVID sure. rolls around and where does the funding tied to, you know, I guarantee you that the brilliant, yeah, and the brilliant folks at the university of, yeah. And the brilliant folks like at the university of Pittsburgh at the salt Institute for vaccinations, 
you know, they might be working on 16 different vaccinations, but guess what? When COVID rolls around, that's their focus. So now you take that at every major university, every research center, and you put all these brilliant minds together and yeah, they can come up with some and not have financial concerns. They can come up with some really, really cool stuff. So, um, I personally barely had a sore arm. I know some folks that I had my booster Monday. Um, Mm -hmm. my arm feels fine. I had no immune response at all. So either someone gave me a a placebo or I just got lucky. Right. Um, but yeah, we've heard some mild immune response, but really the amount of severe allergic reactions or any kind of other reaction is, uh, it really very, very minor at this point. So I would urge everyone that, like you said, it's probably our best case to getting back to some sense of normalcy is, you know, it, when you're able to strongly consider getting the vaccine. Um, and I think before it even gets out to the general public, Mm-hmm. You'll have so many folks in the tier 1A, the tier 1B that have gone through that there's going to be enough uh, evidence out there to show that it is safe. Do you hear her? Yeah. So that was my daughter on Alexa. This is hilarious. And it's okay. She's coming back. Um, she'll give announcements now because we have the Alexas throughout the house. So if she needs to get in touch with my wife on the first floor, she's now figured out she's four, by the way. So she's figured out how to do that, which is, so this is all day long. I don't even try to stop her because it's. Well, yeah, so I have a, I have a hue connected to, um, well, I got to watch it. I don't say Alexa because yeah, she's yeah. behind me here, but, uh, cause I have, I have an echo show about at home. So my three-year-old has figured out that if he tells her to turn on the bedroom or his room. So yeah, lights go on and off in my house all day. Oh, so exactly. I, 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 I could totally sympathize with it. Are you talking about those? Uh, funny, I looked up what I mean. I, everybody looks up. I'm looking through the tier groups, and I, I don't know if I was relieved or sad to see that I was um, in. Okay, she's now she's trying to get the Alexa to do fart sounds. Um, but I noticed that I was in group two because it, it, it said like people forty and above, and it was one of those things where I'm really excited, but then also not. Because we are getting old. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm waiting until you know we're able to get it and we will do that safely. But it's great that you're a part of that. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time uh, to come on. This is interesting because again, it's not you know we're we're all doing our different things. So it was interesting to go in and go on your website, and we'll leave. Um, I'll leave that those links in the show notes too, so that anybody else wants to get more information. Um, about the people who are protecting our communities and going out there, especially now being the first line of defense against a lot of these things. So thank you. And thank you to, you know, everybody at, uh, on your team and on your squad. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. And uh, thanks for having us. And you know, we're always happy uh, to do, you know, to tell folks what we do out there. One, it's, uh, you know, we want community awareness. We actually do a lot of uh, going out in the community to teach CPR prior to the pandemic. Uh, so I really hope to get back to that. And uh, you know, we are a, there's not a, there's not a overabundance. Can you still hear me, George? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Sorry. My, no, it's okay. but, you know, there's not a overabundance of paramedics and EMTs in the region. So if we can get young folks interested in this career, sure. um, the, the need for, for emergency medical services is not going away. Um, and it is really a, a worthwhile. And I've been here 20 years, so I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's not so bad. It's, you got a nice office now. No, it's great. And I, I appreciate it. And yeah, if you're interested, you know, for somebody who is interested, they, like you said, you went through community college locally and it's not, 
something that necessarily, if you don't want to go to a Kutztown or something like that, it's still something you can accomplish. So, yep, absolutely. Hey, stay on the line for one second. We're going to let you go. Um, I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. I right, thanks, George. One more thank you to Eric Gratz for coming on. A uh, big thank you to our sponsors, the Burke Insurance Agency, real estate agent Michael Bernadin, and VentureX. We're going to have more information about um, filming and recording there once a month. We're going to be going there pretty soon, so stay tuned for that. And also, please listen to our other podcast, Take It From a Local with Allison. You can find that uh, at Leah Valley with the Media, or it's in our podcast feed. So thank you. We're ready to uh, get season four started. Talk to you soon.